0: In 1997, researcher Gary McPherson studied 150 randomly selected children as they picked out and learned a musical instrument. Some of those children went on to become fine musicians, and some faltered and stopped altogether. McPherson searched for the traits that separated those who progressed from those who did not. IQ was not a good predictor. Neither were oral sensitivity, math skills, income, or a sense of rhythm. The best single predictor was a question McPherson had asked the students before they had even selected their instruments. And the question is this, how long do you think you will play? The students who planned to play for a short time did not become very proficient. The children who planned to play for a few years had modest success. But there were some children who said, I want to be a musician, I'm going to play my whole life. Those children soared. Well, this morning we're not going to talk about picking an instrument and playing it. The author of Hebrews lays before us from this text a challenge to keep going in the race of faith. So brothers and sisters, notwithstanding, may I challenge you to keep going in the race of faith. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't falter. Keep going. You say, Pastor, well, how can I keep going? You know, my my life's really a challenge now. I have uh, certain issues going on in my life. I I have physical challenges, financial challenges. A struggle How can I keep going? Well, can I give you three steps from this passage of scripture that will help you and I to keep going in the race of faith? The first step from verses 12 through 12 through 13 is that we ensure a healthy race. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame? May not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Ensure a healthy race. This is all predicated upon being disciplined by God. This is the result. That's the little word, therefore. Again, if you're studying the Bible, and you look at that word, therefore, what are you supposed to do? Ask why it's therefore. Well, the reason it's therefore is to link back to God's discipline. Discipline. God's chastening us and making sure that we're on the right track. This is our response to that. When we're disciplined by God, it should result in us taking serious steps in regards to our spiritual race. God doesn't discipline us just for the fun of it, right? God disciplines us for a reason, for multiple reasons. And the author of Hebrews builds his case, his argument from that point then when we're disciplined by God, it should result in us, okay, what do I need to do to run a better race? Notice also the author mentions this requires strengthening ourselves. So strengthen hands which hang down and the feeble knees. We read this morning, Dave did, from Isaiah 35. Verse 3 is where this quote comes from. And the context of Isaiah 35 is, is a return to the land by those who have been redeemed by God. This cannot be done with drooping hands and feeble knees. And so Isaiah writes to the future returnees from exile and says, don't strengthen your your hands and your knees. We know they're feeble. We know they hang down. But strengthen them as you're going to the land because this is a time of rejoicing, a time of great joy as God has redeemed you. So don't, don't be returning to the land with drooping hands and feeble knees. The author of Hebrews uses the word strengthen. What does that word mean? It means to, to become erect from a bent position or straighten up. The word is used in Luke 13, 13 to describe uh, the, the bent over woman who is able to straight be, stand straight up after being healed. You remember that story? She's crippled over and Jesus comes to her and heals her and she's able to straighten up be healed. And notice the word strengthen is in the imperative. It means to Obey. Straighten yourselves up. Be be involved in making sure you are strengthening yourself. And what are we supposed to strengthen? We're supposed to strengthen the hands that hang down. What's the word hang down? It means to be weak, to let fall at your side. It means to be weak and listless or drooping. The picture is, you know, just, just having your hands hang by your side like this, and just, there's nothing, there's no um, use to them. One illustration that comes to my mind, and this is not a uh, condemnation my grandmother, uh, Charlotte Lane, um, had only one hand, and one arm that she used. Her left arm was useless, and the reason for that is, is when she was born. She came out, the doctor pulled her hand as they took her out, and as a result, tear tore all the tendons in her arm, and they never fully healed. So she had one arm that, and I, love her, I loved her for it, uh, and she's in, with the Lord today, but she would always have this hand that just kind of drooped by, just listless, that she wasn't able to use it just because of the injury she had suffered. It wasn't her fault, it's just the way things happened. Well, that picture of a drooping hand is what the author wants us to avoid. Don't have the hand that's just useless. Don't have the, the 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 abilities, the 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 key tools of the race just hang by your side. When you watch a runner, they are they're using their arms for a purpose, right? They're using their arms so they can keep running and keep going. They're also using their knees. So he says, strengthen the feeble knees. What's the word feeble means? It means to undo, weaken, or disable. The knees allow for the legs to move and to run. And if they're disabled, that means you don't run properly. You never see a person who's running not have their knees well functioned or well used. That's why if you watch some sports, sometimes the players will have ice packs on their knees. Why? Because they're using them a lot and they need to be able to have those knees functioning in order to run well. Running the race at times can lead to fatigue, affecting our ability to run well. And we have to be willing to strengthen those assets that help us run. If we do not, the race will be run poorly. Yeah, you could still run a race with drooping hands, right? You could still run, not going to end well. You can still have feeble knees, knees that aren't working well. You could still run. It's not going to end well. You're not going to run the race very well. And so the author Hebrews encourages us and his readers as well. Strengthen them. You know, get them back in the race. Notice also he says, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Notice that he says this requires a vigilant perspective. Again, the word make here is in the Imperative. Obey, make, make straight paths. What does the word straight paths means? It means a direct route with no deviation. And the word feet shows the method of traveling. We're running the race. And we're making sure that we're following a straight path. There's no exit ramps on our race. It requires running a straight line to the end. That's how the race is run. Yes, it may go up hills and down in valleys and and through dark paths, but it's always running a straight line. Never this kind of going back and forth. So it leads me to pause just for a second this morning and ask you a question. Are you running an undistracted race? Are you letting different relationships, priorities, goals push you on a different path? or exit. See, there are a lot of Christians today who are in the race of faith. They're running. They may not be at the head head of the pack. They may be in the middle or maybe just lagging a little bit behind. But all of a sudden, they go off on a path. That's not the race. Either through sin or through choices that they make, they deviate. They go off on an exit. And as as a result, they're off the race following a different path. Why have they done that? Because they got distracted. They, something came into their life. It could have been a relationship. It could have been a goal. It could have been a priority. It could have been you name it. And now they're off the race. They're following somewhere where God doesn't have them and God doesn't want them to be. But they're off the race. They're distracted. And the author of Hebrews says, make straight Make a straight line. Don't get yourself in a position where you're distracted. Is it good to have priorities and goals? Yes. Right? All of us have priorities and goals in this room this morning. All of us have relationships and finances and things that we, we, we have in mind that we want to accomplish. That's great. That's good. But don't ever get to the point where you're letting it distract you. Where that becomes your focus. Where that takes your eyes off christ verse 2 because if you and i let that and that includes me i don't want you to get to the <laughs> to the idea that i ever not struggle with this i do if i let myself be distracted by let's say officiating i love to do that if i let that become my priority my goal and i top that over the race then all of a sudden i'm running a distracted race I'm running a different race than what God has set for me. So please, this morning, may, may, may the race that you are running be straight. Be undistracted. Be not off the beaten path. Notice also, lastly, he says the goal is, a, the goal is complete ability to run the race. So that, that's the word so that, so expresses purpose. Here, here's why you and I strengthen both spiritually and physically our, our abilities to run the race. Here's why we run in a straight line. Here's why we run with a goal in mind. It's so that what is lame may not be dislocated, rather healed. The word dislocated here means to be, to be wrenched or, dis, or, or put out of joint. Has anybody ever had a dislocated joint before? Okay. I'm assuming it's not very fun. Um, I remember, this is years ago, um, watching, it might have been an Olympic event, but I was watching a skating event, and one of the skaters, while he was practicing, had dislocated his shoulder. And what was unique about that, is, as he was laying on the ice, as he was just recovering from that, he popped it back in. And I'm thinking back there, it just looks painful just to pop it back in. But when you're dislocated, it doesn't work, does it? It's wrenched. It's, it's not able to function properly. So the reason we strengthen ourselves is so that we don't have those issues come up. And we're not dislocated. We're not off the beaten path. We're not at a disadvantage. But rather, healed. What does the word healed mean? It means to deliver from a variety of ills or conditions that lie beyond physical abilities to restore. Our run in the race at times may be may result in injury, whether self-inflicted or circumstantial. There's times where we're running our race of faith and, and life gets in the way. You lose your job. You lose a spouse. You may, you may uh, involve yourself in some sinful activity, whatever it may, might be. The goal for us is to be healed and not remain injured. We're never intended to remain in that state. We're never intended to just sit back on the sidelines and let things pass us by. God always wants us to get back in the race. So that's why we strengthen ourselves. That's why we heal, uh, excuse me, make straight paths for our feet so that we get back in the race and not stay on the sidelines. Have you ever watched football on Sundays? You'll see a little tent on the sideline. That's the medical tent. And oftentimes when a player gets injured during the football game, he'll go in the medical tent to get evaluated for whatever injury he has. And whatever injury he has determines whether he'll be back on the field. But the point of the tent and the point of the medical professionals who help him is to get him back in the game. If he can't because of his is too significant, then he doesn't. But you get back in the game and the, the medical tent is for that reason. Well, think of think of your injuries, or maybe your uh, times of needing healing, or just as as your time off in the medical tent, or you may be needing to get things right with God in regards to a sin issue, or you may need to get properly focused. That's fine. That's okay. We've all had those times of of stopping and just being so uh, caught up in the race that we we get injured. We, we fail and we falter. What our response should be is not to just stay there, but to get back in the race. So that leads me to ask you a question this morning. Are you getting back in the race of faith? For some of you, this has been a hard year. A hard month. Some hard times. No. perhaps none of it you're doing. Perhaps some of it is you're doing. And and you've struggled and and you've you've been tired and worn out. I encourage you to get back in the race of faith. Don't stay on the sidelines. Get healed what needs to get healed. It may take time, it may take effort, and it will take effort but you need to get back in the race even if it's just walking (laughs) even if it's just you're taking one step at a time we all need to get back in the race and keep going second step from this passage of scripture of how we can keep going in the race is we pursue spiritual priorities Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Notice that the author says this is intentional and non-negotiable. This is again a command. Pursue is an imperative. It means to follow in haste in order to find something, run after or pursue. Here the word shows purpose and focus. If you ever watch a runner's run a race or if you've run any type of race before, you know that the goal has always been to finish, right? That's why they have a tape across the line. It shows that you're, that's, that's what you're striving for. That's what you're aiming for. All the runners in the race want to pursue finishing. And just like the, that same passion that pursues those racers, whether it be a marathon, a half marathon, a 5K, one of those Spartan races the same passion that propels them to to finish the race is the same passion you and i need to have to finish our race and to pursue those spiritual priorities there's no excuses here we're all to do this imperatives do not leave out excuses they do not incorporate them they say no nope, no excuses we all pursue these priorities And one final thing I'll say about that word pursue. It's in the plural. You pursue, incorporating all believers. This is not just for a select number of people. This is not for the elite. For the middle class. It's for all believers. You and me. And what are we to pursue? We are to pursue Peace. Peace must exist between us and everyone else. The word "peace" here means a state of harmony between groups or individuals. Pursue peace with all people. If you go back to Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two, the fruit of the Spirit. What is is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. That's essential characteristic of the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. Is peace, staying in harmony with everyone. And this is extended to everyone, regardless of their relationship with God. So, unbeliever and believer, we are all to pursue a harmonious relationship with them. To not pursue that relationship with everyone is disobedience and not effectively running the race of faith. You say, "Well, Pastor, you don't know my neighbor. My neighbor's one pain in the neck. He cusses God throughout the day. He he doesn't follow you. I'm I'm to be peaceful with him? Yeah." No, Pastor, you don't know my my coworker. My coworker's a real piece of work. I just I don't like conversing with them. I'm not saying you have to converse with them, but you are to pursue a harmonious relationship with them. Make sure everything is in harmony, even if it is not responded to. You notice that he doesn't say everyone else has to be at peace with you. You have to be at peace with them. Is that always easy to do? No. I've been in situations where people have been in contrast to me and I've not appreciated it and I've not liked them. But guess what? I still, as best I could, pursued a peaceful relationship with them. Why? Because that's what I'm commanded to do. That's how you run the race of faith. Effectively, you pursue peace with everyone, regardless of whether that is reciprocated or not. What's the other spiritual priority? It is this holiness is our continual aim. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without no one without which no one will see the Lord. The word holiness refers to personal dedication to the interests of God. And here the dedication is to be holy like God because God is holy, and that is what God is all about. And therefore, that's what we're about. That's 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, and I've referenced it before be holy for i am holy that is our standard that is our aim that we're pure in our thoughts our actions our words and how we interact with each other how we handle our finances how we live life is to be pure like god and that is the prerequisite for a relationship with him that's why he adds that little phrase without which no one will see the lord we want to have a relationship with God, it requires holiness. There is no other standard that exists for access to God and is only found in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5:21, "For our sake, he made him to be no sin, who, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Romans 5:19-20, "For as by one man's sin, disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous." Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. He died for us on the cross so that we might be born again. And that standard of holiness is what we are supposed to strive for in a relationship with God because that's how He sees and requires a relationship. So here's where Christ comes in. We trust in Him for faith. We trust in Him for salvation. His his righteousness is applied to us so that when God looks at you and me, He doesn't see our sin. But he sees Jesus. And he accepts us into a relationship with him. Amen? That we we are not viewed for who we are. We are viewed for what Christ has done for us. And that standard is applied to us. And holiness is the prerequisite for that relationship. And that leads me to ask you a question just as before I get to the point some some points of application. Do you have a relationship with Christ this morning? Do you have his righteousness, his holiness applied to your life so that when God looks at you, not your dad, not your mom, not your history, not your social standing, when God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see a sinner in need of saving? Does he see a sinner who is condemned to eternal judgment? Or does he see Christ? Because without Christ, no one has a relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you two points of application from here in regards to these spiritual priorities. Are you working at being in harmony with everyone? I say, well, Pastor, (laughs) Joe Blow at work, I... Really? Him? I don't like him. I don't I'm not saying you don't have to like him. Are you making sure you're at peace with him? There's nothing between you and that person at work or at home or whatever the relationship you are you making sure that relationship is harmonious, even if you just want to say hi to him and that's it. And to be honest, that's okay. okay. Is that relationship in harmony are you at peace with them that's what you and I are called to do in the race of faith is to be at peace with all people regardless of whether unbelievers or believers we are to be at peace with them and then secondly are you working towards holiness are you making sure that you in your actions in your words are acting just like god commands you and i to do you see too many believers just sit on the in, in their in their deviation, which we 'll talk about here in a second, or actually, we talked about previously in their in their exit thinks like they don't think that they do not have to act like God they, they just take the time off i don 't have to be holy i don 't have to watch what I say or think or do yeah, you do pursue holiness, he says, make that your goal yes you're holy in a a completed sense before God through Christ. But you're still to be holy as I am holy. It's still carried out in practical ways. So are you working towards holiness in your life? At your job? In your relationships with spouse and children and friends? Are you being holy? Can people look at you and see that's what He's obeying the Bible. He's doing what God says. That is to be all of our aims this morning. To be holy as he is holy. Third step from this passage of scripture of how you and I can keep going in the race of faith. Is that we watch out for each other. Look at this list starting in verse 15. He's addressed them corporately in verse 14. And now everything from verse 14 and commentators see verse 14 as the governing verse over verses 15 through 17, and I would tend to agree with that. I think, grammatically speaking, uh, that works. Um, I separated verses 15 through 17 out because there's some things that we need to notice here. Notice first that this is actively done. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. The word, that phrase, looking carefully, means to give attention to, take care, or see to it. This is a continual effort we're supposed to do. We're supposed to watch out for each other. This is not once and done. You know, We don't get to do it one day and then off the next day. We don't do it one week and then we're off the rest of the year. We are to consistently be on the lookout for each other. Notice what he says. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. What does that mean? It means we do not let each other miss out on experiencing God's grace. The word fails to obtain or fall short of means to miss out on something through one's own fault, to miss or to fail to reach. Now here here again some argument here uh, from the commentators on this passage of Scripture. Some of them see this as God's grace being shown in salvation. So the idea uh, might be from that perspective is make sure you don't let anybody fail to experience God's grace and salvation. You'll be witnessing, be out there telling people about Jesus. I'm going to lean the other way. I think that's not what he's referencing based upon context. He's talking to believers. I'm going to lean the other way because yes, God's grace is in salvation, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? God's grace is in salvation, but God's grace is also shown in our individual daily lives as believers, right? We also experience God's grace. So this is God's grace shown in our lives as we live out the Christian life. Romans 6.1 is an example of this. Should we continue in sin? Okay, this is believers. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the answer to that? Not even close. Okay? So there is, there is Paul was mentioning He's asking, do we continue to sin so God should be gracious to us? No, we continue to be more like Christ because we are dead to sin. And sin causes us to miss out on God's grace for our lives. When you and I engage in willful rebellion against Him, what is God's response? It's not grace, it's judgment, right? It's Him condemning our sin and giving out the consequences. So in looking out for each other, we need to do so because sin is prevalent. And when we sin, we miss out on God's grace. Sin causes us to fall short of that experience. And the author of Hebrews notes that we should be looking out for each other so we don't miss out on God's wondrous grace. We also do not let bitterness rise to infect our fellowship. Look, second, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Really, really a a graphic word picture here. The word bitterness means state of being bitter in an effective sense. It can also be translated anger, hostility, harshness. Here the word focuses on bitterness that flows over to affect others. I'm I'm recovering from a little bit of a cold as I'm sure many of you this past winter season have gotten sick. What happens when you get sick and you cough on somebody? What is the likelihood of that person catching what you have? It goes up, right? It infects them, okay? And you try to go home and take a shower and rub down sanitizer everywhere just make sure you don't get it because you don't want to be sick like that person who coughed up on you. But the likelihood of you getting infected because someone coughed on you is greater than you staying away. Well, the picture here is bitterness rising up in a person and, letting, and that person letting that bitterness affect other people, whether it be through their words or actions. And what does that do? It causes trouble, where trouble means to interfere or to bother to the point of causing discomfort. If you've ever had a... Paper cut, or I've got a little bit. One of with the, the dry air and everything, I've had some cracked skin, and I've got a little bit of a slit here in my thumb that's a little bit painful. Uh, I've been I forgot to put cream on it this morning, but maybe it's a good thing because it reminds me. Hey, this is a good sermon illustration. Um, and it's 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 painful at times. It's causing me discomfort. Well, a bitter person who lets that bitterness overflow to others in their, in their words and their actions, that will always cause problems. Have you ever been around a bitter person? Are they fun to be around? No. It just Bitterness pours out of them, and you stand back and look at them, and you're like, I have, no, I have no desire to be with that person. Because they are just so bitter, and it's filled up in their soul, and it's pouring out in their life, and just, there's nothing good about it. It's always going to cause trouble. Now, should we still be in relationship with that person and try to help them? Yes, but know this, the root of bitterness is going to cause problems. And how many times we we looked at churches in our history where one person has gotten bitter and that bitterness has just taken root, it's it's taken seed in that person's life and they've spread it to other people and what happens? Either the church is split or that person leaves in just a great fit because they're so bitter and they take people with them. The author Hebrew Hebrews says, don't let bitterness come up and cause problems. Why? Because if left unchecked, bitterness pollutes those it meets. The word defiles here means to cause impurity by violating something with immoral behavior. So it flows over and it defiles. It, 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 it makes things rotten by that behavior. And I would encourage you, brother, sister in Christ, if you are bitter this morning, root it out. Don't let it sit there. Because the longer it takes root in your life, the more and more it infects not only you, but those around you. So we as children of God this morning should not let bitterness rise up to infect our fellowship and that's why we watch out for each other. So if you see a person who is bitter and struggling with bitterness, pull them aside. Say, hey, hey, what's, what's going on? Why are you acting like this? Maybe they deserve a smack in the head. I'm not saying, I'm not saying give it to them, but maybe they deserve a little tough love. Hey, don't be bitter. What, what, why are you being bitter? Because we let that go in our congregation, in our fellowship, it's going to affect us. And last thing, is that we need, to, we need to help each other avoid immoral pursuits. Verse 16, lest there, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Here the word fornicator means one who practices his sexual immorality. And the word profane person means to be worldly as opposed to having an interest in spiritual matters. It's the person who is focused on living life now with no regard for the consequences and no thought for the future. We all know those types of people who just are sold out for today and sold out for this life. That's all they're living for. We need to, we need to come across alongside those people and say, no, this is not a good idea, especially those who are involved in sexual sin. My greatest concern for the church today, one of my greatest concerns for the church today, and this is the church in general, is that we let sexual sin go unchecked. How many times have we turned on the news or read a newspaper and there's been a pastor or a spiritual leader who's fallen because of sexual sin? Right? And if we would just watch out for them, even to the point of walking up to a popular pastor or Christian leader and saying, hey, something's wrong. What is it? Why are you doing this? Why are you acting in this way? It ruins our race. So we need help each other avoid immoral pursuits. Esau is the example. He had a worldly perspective when it came to his birthright, right? Genesis 29-34, through through this is a story. Now, to be fair, Jacob tricked him, right? He took advantage of Esau's situation Esau was hungry. He needed food. Jacob said, hey, give me your birthright and I'll give you some food. Jacob was wrong. But Esau considered his birthright, which was, it, which was something very valuable, very very uh, important in that time period. That was just something that was not worth being considered. So he gave it up. He sold it. He's also called immoral or profane. Immoral, excuse me. And though the author of Hebrews does not mention it, Esau did have pagan wives who drew the ire of Rebekah and Jacob. This is Genesis twenty-six thirty-four through 35 And yet having made his choices, God, Esau found himself rejected by God and not being able to repent. The word rejected, verse 17, for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. The word rejected means to consider unworthy and therefore to be rejected. Esau came back. And, and again, Jacob had tricked Isaac, had gotten a blessing. Esau tried to repent and, and tried to get it back and God rejected him for that. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Even sorrow could not get him what he wanted. Why? Because he had willingly given it up. Chased immoral pursuits and therefore was rejected, ultimately by God. Now, many commentators will make a big deal out of this example. I think what is being used here is the life of a person as an example. That's it. There's no teaching in here. Particularly, some say this is unique. Again, this is a for some who believe that you can lose your salvation. This is a verse that points to that. I don't think so. I think he's just using it as an example. This is how in the life of Esau is used to show how seriously immorality is. How serious sin is. So immorality, whether sexual or anything opposing opposite to God, must not occur in our lives as believers. It is therefore incumbent upon us to make sure this is not happening in our lives in the lives of our fellow believers. This is Ephesians 5.3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper to saints. That's not our description. That's not our characteristic. So when we see someone engaged in that, in that activity, whether it be pursuing an immoral relationship or pursuing other goals and putting them ahead of God, being worldly, if you will, our responsibility is not to just sit back and say, okay, I hope they, I hope they make it. We need to pursue them, bring them back, because that is not who they are in Christ, as that is not how they are to act. So I will ask you this morning, will you this morning, from this point on to the end of your life, will you watch out for each other? First John 3:11 says this, "For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That is our description. That is our characteristic. And loving someone means that we go after them when they fail and start to go down the wrong path. I'm not saying that you need to go to every person in this congregation this morning and say, Hey, what's wrong with you? What are you doing in your life? I'm not saying that. But when you see bitterness, when you see someone involved in sin whether it be immoral sin or worldly sin, whatever it might be, are you, going to make, are you going to be that person who steps up, maybe through a phone call or a text message or pulling them aside after a service or meeting them for coffee, are you going to be the person who steps up and says, hey, what's, what's going on? Why are you doing this? That helps you and I run the race of faith to keep going and to help others keep going as well. John Maxwell, the famous business coach, former pastor, once said this The only guarantee for failure is to stop trying. This morning, God, through His Word, has challenged us to not stop in our race of faith. He's given us three steps we need to keep going and to finish the race. We ensure a healthy race. Make sure we're strengthened. We're not, we're not allowing the, the abilities and the assets that we have to stop functioning properly so we can run the race well. We pursue, we pursue spiritual priorities. We're to be at peace with everyone. We're, we're to be holy like God is holy. Pursuing that. And we watch out for each other. We make sure every believer that we come into contact with in this congregation, in our community, is running a well-run race too. And not letting sin get in the way. So brothers and sisters, this week, let's keep going in our race of faith. And not slow down until we cross the finish line.